It's Chris Whitman. Good effort. Oh, it's in. Now then, football's back, apparently. Uh, forget about all the thousands of deaths and the fact that you still can't see your parents and instead rejoice at the prospects of watching Bournemouth being steamrolled at home. Um, so yeah, the Premier League and the Championship have returned, but, but we all know that's that's more a TV, TV series than it is football. So uh, again, as a podcast, we're seeking sanctuary in the past instead. Um, in this, the 19th episode of Podular Stands, the popular stand fanzine podcast, we're looking back to 2002-2003 and Ravers' last season in non-league. Um, so my name is, as ever, Glenn Wilson, and joining me via a leading online video meeting app is editor of London Economic, Jack Pete. Now then... Jack, you're right. Yeah, not too bad, mate. Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed the return of football on TV for about half an hour, I think, which um, and it, and it soon evaporated when uh, I can't remember who was playing now. But there's just a really dull nil-nil game, and I'm thinking, what is the point of this? You know, um, but as discussed in previous episodes, if anyone minds to go back, there is no point of football without its fans. I think. Yeah, completely. Yeah, I I had to turn off the fake crowd noise thing because it. It just, I found it really unsettling. I just kept thinking there was something happening in the street outside rather than on the TV. And I much yeah. prefer hearing managers shout at players anyway. To, uh, Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's good. Actually, that's good value. That's probably the best thing to come out of it. So no, no James McMahon this month, sadly. Uh, but, but me and Jack, we're going to battle on regardless. The odds against us, a bit like, like Grant McCann trying to win matches with Hull. So Jack, let's give some uh, context to our respective memories here. So... 2002-2003 season, I turned 20 during that season. So I was, I was living in Lincoln, I was at university there, but I'm I fairly certain I still had a season ticket. And I, and I made it to the majority of home games in a good sort of, I would say, third of the away games that season. Uh, how about you? Yeah, well, so I was uh, sort of 16, 17 that year, so still relatively young, but back up north. Uh, still living with parents, so so still sort of able to get around. Uh, I think it probably was like one of the first seasons where I was also able to get around on my own, which was um, which was nice. So I do remember, as we'll probably discuss, sort of like some interesting journeys to sort of like some far-fetched places across the UK, sort of on my Todd, um, and, and realising that actually um, I don't know Nuneaton that well after all. <laughs> but you sort of know that when you get there. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, ahead of this podcast, I was digging, digging back through the, the fanzines from that season, 2000-2003, to sort of see what the people were saying and writing about the club. But there is, there's a great article from a guy who went under the name Sturdy himself. Martin Haythorn, I think is his real name. Um, and he wrote about the joys of going away watching Rovers and one of his mates always insisted on setting off early to see the sights. And his response was, what sights? It's Nuneaton away. <laughs> yeah, and I, I also remember that at the end of that game, because Doncaster at the time, it was sort of, 
I don't think we had a reputation, but we were certainly one of the bigger teams in the league. Yeah. Um, we, we were sort of like caged in for at least half an hour after the game, as if like some, or if it was going to go down after. So I, yeah, I definitely remember sort of the start of it, trying to get there, being a bit like, this is the most nondescript town probably in living history. And, uh, and the way back thinking, right, what do I do when I miss my train because we've been kept for half an hour in the stadium? Um, so, yeah, the sort of like adolescent thoughts of, uh, of, a, of, a, of a Rovers fan <laughs> right there. Um, now, I mentioned that I, I looked back at some of the fanzines from that season. I dug out the one from the start of the season, which was issue, issue 19. And Nathan, who was the editor at the time, did a pre-season like questionnaire thing with, I think, seven different fans. Um, and one of the ones interviewed was our own John Coyle. Oh, yeah. And we're just going just gonna to show some of John's answers here, so just, just to show why John is the voice of the pop side. <laughs> so one of the questions, what have, uh, what have Rovers got to look forward to? Uh, John's answer, championship possibly, but more likely a top five finish in a playoff. Bang on, straight from the start. <laughs> uh, young player to watch. Most people were saying Andy Watson, but John Coyle was straight in there with Paul Green. Definitely proved wow. the case that season. Yeah. Uh, which opposition player will get the most stick? Kevin McIntyre. Absolutely <laughs> no doubt about that. McIntyre, of course, for those who, who can't quite remember, he'd been at Rovers since the first season of the conference. And in the season previous to this, he'd spent pretty much the entire campaign out injured. And then the moment he got fit again, he joined Chester, which, which didn't go down well with, uh, with the Rovers fans, as you can imagine. And the last question was, was where will Rovers finish this season? Uh, and John put anywhere between first and fifth, but I'll hazard a guess at third, which is again absolutely <laughs> brilliant. Just always listen to John Coyle. It's it's advice to live by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I might put a few bets on at the start of next season. <laughs> I'll go and tap him up. So that that was interesting. Looking back at that, now the, think about the squad Rovers had that season. We hadn't really made Dave Penny hadn't made a huge number of additions from the previous season. We'd lost Jimmy Kelly. He'd gone to Chester as well as McIntyre. Barry Miller was, was out for the season as it transpired. And the only real additions that, um, that Dave Penny made were both in defence at the start of the season anyway, and that was um, Dave Morley and Mark Albrighton. So looking in, that, in, yeah. the, in those season previews, there's a bit of worry that we were particularly in midfield a, a little bit light. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And I think that's testament. And I think that often Dave Penny does, does sort of get... Um, he doesn't get ignored, but he, he probably, in the annals of time, obviously, short, what, what preceded uh, almost does him a bit of a disservice because, because precisely, if you look at that squad, with very little resource, um, he, he actually proved himself to be a very good coach that year, I thought. Um, and a testament to that is, where we, you know, in midfield, for example, where you've got uh, clear weaknesses, Paul Green is the guy that stepped up and actually continued to step up throughout that, the rest of that season. Um, you know, he, he made it, it just a prolific goal scorer out of Paul Barnes. And, um, and obviously, you know, um, we, we had the mainstays of the team in, in my, my best friend and, and, and an all-time favourite, Simon Markle. So uh, the best right back ever, by the way. But uh, yeah, combined, it just, it showed, it actually, I think that that's the season where you really saw Dave Penny at his best in a lot of ways. Yeah, it was, it was the first season of the conference where, it felt like we had a bit of strength in, in depth. But I think that thinking is more in hindsight than it was at the time. Because, as you yeah. said, in midfield, Paul Green and Ricky Ravenhill, don't forget as well, both very young players, really stepped up for that season. So in hindsight, yeah. you look back and you think, well, Green and Ravenhill established players. We know how good they proved to be. But, you know, they weren't at that point. They were still young lads coming through. 
and Penny put a lot of trust in them and it, and it really paid off. I mean, you still had Gareth Owen at the start of the season. You know, James Patterson was, was very much a, a very good conference player, but he got injured late season. And then you got two good wingers in, in Watson and Tierney. So it was, a, it was a decent midfield, but you probably only see that in hindsight, I think. Yeah, that's absolutely. And yeah, that is actually a good point. Um, because actually at the time, it, it didn't feel like... Yeah, I, I, I just think that he brought the best out of a lot of players in that, in that season. And, and actually, that really is testament, not in this season, but, but um, it, was, it was a season following where, you know, again, with, with some additions, that same squad rattled through League Two or whatever it was then. Yeah. So um, a, real, a real manager's sort of like triumph that. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned you mentioned Marples there, and it's it's worth pointing out. I think once you throw in Maureen Albright at the start of this season, those two Ryan Marples and Foster plus Warrington behind them, you know, that's the back five that carried us through two more divisions, didn't it? They were still playing together in the third tier two seasons later, and that that's a mark of how strong they were as a unit. We always forget about that season that because you always think just think Andy Warrington ever present. Yeah, um, I always forget that Stuart Nelson was the backup keeper that season. Um, of course, yeah. And he's gone on, you know, he's gone on to play hundreds of football league games. So it's not like Warrington didn't have decent competition. Yeah. Uh, I'll come on to Paul Barnes in a minute. Um, but the other thing in terms of like Dave Penny's effective management that season was the, I think the additions that he made during the season, you know, both, both loanies and permanent moves. Now, I mean, Greg Blundell is the one that springs to mind but you know Blundell played as many league games that season as John Ryan did so you know he only joined into the team like the very end of the season yeah 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 but you know think of the other yeah. players I mean John Doolan joined in in late March after Gareth Owen had gone and with James Patterson, Jamie Patterson injured Jason Blunt came in in February Chris Beach mid-season with Danny Hudson who did a very good job in the middle of the season on loan uh, and Tarkin Mustafa as well came in when when Marples was was out injured mid season and was was very yeah. effective. Yeah, yeah. He, he did yeah. very well in bringing those those players in to, to fill the gaps. I thought. Yeah. Again. Yeah. I I, I think you're absolutely right because I'm looking back and thinking they sound like pretty efficient sticking plasters, but obviously um, a lot of them you know went went on to you know especially the uh, Blundells and others went on to become like an absolute you know, central, a central part of that, that Rovers squad, but also sort of like just to sort of bring those players in at the latter half of the season, just to, just to stitch it up, but continue to sort of play in the way that we did. It's quite, quite a clever way of doing it. Um, so yeah, Paul Barnes was the, was the main man up front. Start of the season, it should have been a Paul Barnes-Justin Jackson partnership that season. And, and they actually started reasonably well together, Barnes and Jackson. But then, yeah, Jackson just couldn't get the ball in the net and it just fell away from him. And, and, and as he never really got going, Rob, uh, Rob Gill really took his chance, didn't he? And, and... Yeah, for sure. Now Patterson. Chance to get his cross in now. It's Jamie Patterson. Good save from Brown. Off the bar. Must be. Barnes scores. Doncaster Rovers are back in it. And the veteran player coach, remember the name, Paul Barnes. Yeah, I, I mean, he's not not just a striker, but a leader as well, which was where I think that the, the younger side, playing with alongside someone younger, probably worked. You know, he's not the, the most leggy guy in the world, but at the same time, he had an, an absolute presence up, 
up front and obviously knew where the back of the net was, which um, you couldn't really ask for a better uh, a partner when you're a young lad coming through. Someone who, and obviously we all heard him as well, you know, that was the other thing. You, you definitely <laughs> saw him, you definitely heard him uh, and he scored. So like, um, you know, almost a, a sort of perfect role model really. Yeah, I've, I've dug out um, issue issue 22, which is the the sort of last issue of the fanzine we put out in 2002-03. And there's a piece in it from Jack the Miner, um, which is, is Paul Barnes the new war boys or has he just got a fat belly? Um, which is it's a brilliant piece. I'm, I'm probably going to read a bit verbatim here, but it is such a good piece. It's just on about the, the sort of cult hero-ness of Paul Barnes as a striker and comparing him to Alan Warboys. Uh, there's just, I mean, Jack the Miner's turn of phrase is always great. But there's a there's a section which is um, size of belly slash physique comparison. He says, Warboys came from the brick shithouse mould, whereas uh, Barnes comes from the is there any more pudding mould. Anyone <laughs> running into Warboys would wish he hadn't. Barnes provides a softer landing, but they both make a physical impression on defenders. <laughs> Warboys just followed the ball, and if anyone got in his way, it was tough luck. Barnes tends to make absolutely sure there is physical contact and wears them down. There's the other thing is the other great content. I mean, because obviously he talks effectively about heading ability and goal scoring and things like that. But I think my favourite section is the uh, whinging ability. Yeah. (laughs) This is Jack the Miner again. So Warboys used to let referees know what he thought when it mattered. Barnes likes to let the referees know what he's thinking every few minutes just in case they're interested. And if they're not interested, he likes to tell them anyway for their general information and education. Barnes <laughs> is likely to get on the tits of every referee, opponent and opposing fan within 10 minutes of kickoff. If Jamie Patterson is, annoying little, is an annoying little insect an opponent would like to swap with a rolled up newspaper, Paul Barnes is an irritating bouncy dog who keeps biting you and peeing in your garden. Dogs don't normally bother you, but you'd like to kick this one when nobody's looking. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, that doesn't, that, that's not too far away from, um, obviously, the sort of effect that Mark Quiz would have, like, sort of, uh, in, 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 in the few seasons just gone by, where I'm sure a lot of people, I'm, I, don't, I, don't, I would like another sort of, I, I, if, if, we do, if we bring another fans, like, fans in now, another um, version of that with Mark Quiz in the mix would actually be quite an interesting comparison. Obviously, he's not a big boy, but... But yeah. I don't know where he sits between being a fly that you want to squat away and a, and a, an annoying dog. I'm not sure where, where he's at. I mean, Marquis and, and Barnes, they both filled that mould of exactly the sort of striker that had caused us no end of grief for the previous five years, you know, up to their, their signing. That sort of irritating opposition pantomime villain as a forward that would wind you up and inevitably nick a winner at some point. Yeah. yeah, and it was just great to finally have one of those for ourselves. For those, yeah, things. yeah, yeah. Well, it's the classic, like it's the player that you hate unless they're playing for you, isn't it? You know, oh, um, and and he absolutely filled that role. So yeah, all for it. Oh yeah, I mean, I for what constituted my own football career, I was a, I was a centre half. Those two would have just driven me insane. Like <laughs> just the even just the constant talking and whinging. Never mind their play. But yeah, Barnes, like you say, was the the absolute perfect sort of front man for the for the unit that had been built behind, wasn't he? Yeah. There was there was a bit of a bit of pace, a bit of maybe a bit of a little bit of flair in in the wingers and things like that. But you just had that old fashioned target man up the top to to make it count. Um, yeah. Think of all all the money we you know we we tried the big name strikers in Justin Jackson and Carl Alford, and it never yeah. really happened for them. 
and suddenly this this bloke strides in from uh, finishing the buffet next door and just just takes to it. <laughs> I'll do it. Yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> just dusting sausage roll crumbs off his shirt. As he... <laughs> Over side, lads. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, and he was the difference, I think. So, and yeah, obviously was, but um, yeah, uh, yeah. But I think that that's a really good point about the sort of like where he where he slotted in in terms of the style of football we were playing. We actually needed someone uh, like that, you know, those attributes are the sort of ones that you can laugh about. But actually, in a, in a, in, a, in a league like we were in and, and playing the sort of football like we did, uh, there's they're they're the perfect attributes for your game. So, um, and as it proved, yeah, and and. Dave Penning particularly succeeded when he had, you know, he played quite a direct style with Rovers. It wasn't the sort of the more fluid passing we saw with with O'Driscoll. It was a bit much quicker. So and he and he kind of he worked his best when he had good wingers and a solid front two partnership. So you look at in this season, you're looking at Tierney and Watson when he could be bothered in the early season, um, yeah. with Barnes and, and Gill for the for the book part up front. And in the following season, you're looking at, you know, McIndoe and uh, Melligan for Fortune Western Blundell up front. And it was that sort of established front partnership and the wingers getting the ball in that, that always that we seem to do very well under with Dave Penning. Yeah, it sort of it, it feels quite classic, a quite a classic approach. And and there's something quite refreshing about that looking back as well. Um, especially given like sort of you know the times that we're in now where you know four four two seems like an absolute bizarre concept right now it's got to be something completely different and the style of football again is 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 gone so far beyond that but that looking back seems like football the way it should be you know <laughs> well I think that's it though I think that's why a lot of I'd say it, but a lot of older, more traditional fans struggled with Sean O'Driscoll for a long time because it was yeah, so odd with, with what we, what we just had and what we had under Penny. It was, it was a very, you know, Sean O'Driscoll's style was. It's not that it wasn't exciting, but it was, it was a very patient style, whereas whereas Penny's was was a bit more direct and was very exciting. You know, the the thing that I think of when I think of Rovers under Dave Penny is a winger bombing past the pop side with the whole pop side giving a guttural roar as they go past, you know, as, as we got past a fullback and launched it into that space. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. It was, it was effective. And there's nothing, you know, I, as a fan, I preferred the aesthetic of the, the um, O'Driscoll years, but Penny's style was, was very entertaining and very direct and very, very enjoyable. It was a very, it was sort of a, a, a formation based on sort of, sort of passion and, and belief I suppose over te- technical side of things yeah and as I'm sure we're going to discuss like the, you know we had some bloody entertaining games that season that I can remember so and, and goal filled games and obviously like games that did show your vulnerabilities as much as your your uh, strengths but but at the same time it's um it, you know it did the job and it was quite fun to to watch at the same time too which is which is you know, the perfect recipe from a fan's perspective. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we'll go on to the, to the game. Rovers, Rovers started that season very positive. I think we were unbeaten in the first seven. Yeah. The opening game of that season, which was against Barnet at home. Uh, and I was selling the, selling the fanzine outside. I don't know why, but I was outside the main stand rather than my usual pitch outside the pop style turnstiles. Firstly, I scammed a load of, uh, a coach load of Barnet fans. By right. they, they got off the bus right in front of me, 
and they were like, can we get a drink around here somewhere? And it's when we still had the red shed in the uh, car park. Yeah. So I, I sort of pointed them the direction of that and they were like, is it, is it free to get in? And I think, I can't remember if it was free to get in or whether you had to pay, I think you had to pay a pound, didn't you, to get in the red shed? Yeah. So what I told them was it's, I think I told them it's fiver or it's a pound if you buy a fanzine. <laughs> Which it obviously wasn't. But pound was just, so they all came and bought a fanzine off me. And then rocked up and showed it to the doorman. Yeah, basically. <laughs> then they all went straight Dorman saying, and what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly that. They all piled over to the red shed and they're all sort of waving their copy of the fanzine at Andy Liney and sliding a pound across the table. And he's just like, <laughs> why are you showing your fanzine off to me? I don't care. <laughs> so yeah, I, I elicited money from a lot of Barnet fans. And to be honest, don't regret it. Don't regret it in the slightest. <laughs> um, but the other memories, while I was standing there, um, I tried to sell a copy to Dave Penny because he came out the back of the stand for something and he, and he wouldn't buy one. But as he walked past me, he saw like a penny on the floor and he, uh, he was like, oh, find a penny, pick it up. And he uh, went down and picked it up. And I kind of like to think that he kept that in his pocket for the whole season. Uh, yeah, yeah, he could well have done. How many times that happened to Dave Penny? I did have to resist going over and picking him up as per... That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, how many times that season did he get a bit too worse for the wear and, uh, and someone had to find a penny and pick him up? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've heard yeah, but, but that, 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 I tell you what if we could get in touch with him and, and find and validate that that would be a great story yeah he did he did find a penny on the floor picked it up put it in his pocket yeah. I'd like to think those two scenes were more, more based on a bit more than that but you never know yeah but at least you, you might have played a part in it that's nice yeah yeah if I hadn't have broke his concentration of walking to where he was walking he might not if he wasn't trying to avoid my gaze <laughs> To get out of my fancy and stare it at the floor. I mean, let's have it right, mate. I mean, you pretty much got us promotion from the conference. Yeah, I mean, I don't like to bang on about it, but I'm glad. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you've said it. Um, <laughs> There's no yeah. no room for modesty there, mate. No, no. I mean, it's, um, it's very nice of you to you for you to say it because I, you know, it would have been bad for me too. It would have it would have looked like the you know height of um, self absorption. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so yeah, those opening seven games where um, Rovers stayed unbeaten. I think perhaps the most memorable of those seven is the one we didn't win, which was um, away at uh, away at Telford. Oh yes, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so absolutely flying up to this point. We've uh, what have we done? We, oh no, we've only we've only played two in one two. We beat Barnet at home. We've we've won away at Liarmai. We go to Telford, and Rovers fly into a four goal lead at half time. I think I think we scored two. Belters, I seem to remember Dean Barrick scoring a hell of a goal and um, yeah. Franny Tierney scoring a really good free kick as well. So we're 4 0 up at half time. All the goals have been down the other end, which is a bit annoying as a Rovers fan. And I remember at half time, as I said to someone next to me, I can't remember who I was standing with, I said, I'll tell you what, if it stays like this, we're going to be top of the league. And there's, there was a bloke just in front of me who sort of looked around and goes, What do you mean if we're four goals up? <laughs> Fast forward 45 minutes. <laughs> And Telford, the other thing I forgot about this, Telford went down to 10 men as well, which I'd forgotten God. about. Uh, yeah. And then, yeah, 45 minutes, 50 minutes later from this bloke laughing at me, their centre-half, who'd been previously awful for the first 45 minutes, scissor kicks in the equaliser from the edge of the box. And uh, the fellow in front of me just turned around and gave me such a withering look like I'd planned it by not believing enough. <laughs> I mean, I know it's a bit of a needless gig now, 18, dig even, uh, 18 years on, but 
That is the height of complacency losing that game, given the season start that we had and, um, and, and, and where we found ourselves at half-time and that there were a man down as well, which I didn't realise. Yeah, um, they, they had a man sent off at 4-2, I think. We were 4-0 up inside half an hour, not even the first half. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you, know, you know, the other things, all eight goals were down the far end as well. Oh, there could be something in that. <laughs> that's, that's really frustrating as a fan. Yeah. Oh yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. But yes, there was that one that that wasn't one. The other, the other memorable game from those from that first run uh, was the the seventh of them, where we were we were top of the league and we played Dagenham at home on a Saturday lunchtime kickoff. Yeah, it was live on Sky. I think it was Saturday lunchtime. I think yeah. it played in the afternoon, but it was it was live on Sky. Yeah, and Rovers again put in a, a brilliant first half performance. Um, Andy Watson was superb, Robert Gill. I'm just trying to remember, just, and I was trying to think back earlier, but I'm pretty sure, because it was probably the, the, obviously the only normal season game that was on Sky, I probably made an effort to, to watch it on Sky. Because mm. um, I think actually I can remember at the time that Sky were trying to do a bit more non-league and make a bit of a thing of it. But before I watched it on Sky, but I'm just trying to think back to where, I'm, I can't remember. Sky got the rights to cover the conference the season before and carried it forward. I can't, like you, I can't remember how long it went on for after that. Because um, the first game they covered on Sky, I think was us away at Stevenage the season before, which finished 0-0. And this season we were on Sky three times, I think. That game against Dagenham, a home game against Woking in December, and away at Chester late season, we were definitely on Sky as well. Um, oh, right. Yeah. But yeah, the, the Dagenham game, one of the, <laughs> the, the standout things, as well as Rovers, tearing them apart. Bear in mind, this is a Dagenham side who were a lot of people's favourites for the league because they'd, you know, they'd just missed out the previous season to Boston on goal difference. was the fact that Ian Snodding was uh, like a co-commentator or summariser on the coverage. But he was also Andy Watson's agent, wasn't he, I think? So he, he just spent the whole game like talking <laughs> up Andy Watson. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realise that. You do, you see Snodding uh, pop up even, even like... These days, you know, like re- quite recent seasons, I keep seeing him. Is he still? Is he still the agent of any footballers? I don't know. You know, I, I think he does a lot of media and stuff with Everton, but I don't know if he's still involved with like the agent. Because I watch out for that. <laughs> that's that's tricky. That's sly, but that's uh, again, uh, well done, <laughs> well done. Yeah, I think that. I think in many ways it didn't help Andy Watson because Watson had started brilliantly that season, and I feel like it kind of went to his his head a bit, and he and he never really. He, it was probably the high point for Watson with us was, was that game, I think, in many ways. Driven in and there's a chance here now for Watson, surely, yes! Oh, it was an emphatic finish from Andy Watson. And now over this penalty, which surely will put Doncaster out of sight if successful. Well, it was convincing, and it has been wholly convincing from Doncaster Rovers today against one of their rivals, it would seem, for the conference title this season, 4-0. Yeah, so after that Dagenham game, we, we were top and we were unbeaten in seven, and then, and then we finally had suffered the, the first defeat where we, I think it was a midweek night away at, away at Halifax, and we were on the big, the big terrace there. Yeah, now I, I, I loved... I don't know how many times I've been, but I've always enjoyed going to Halifax. I think it's ex- exactly what we, we, we like in the ground. 
Yeah. Um, but I, I, you know, from what I can remember of that that game, which not isn't much. Um, the, the, the one highlight is sort of walking out and seeing this guy who had actually really randomly been at a funeral that I'd been at the week before, and I'd gone up to him and I'd said, um, "Are you a Rovers fan?" Because this was this was sort of like um, more Castleford way, mm. and he was just like, "What of it?" And I said, "Oh no, mate, I just uh, I just seen you down the games," and then he was like, "Oh, fair enough, and you can sit down." And we talked through. Anyway, the first game I seen I see this guy after that. Um, was at Halifax, and we'd had such a good chat at this uh, pub, and um, and 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 I saw him after the game and walked out, and we couldn't we didn't do anything other than just go oh, and just shake your head, and then just <laughs> walked off. You know, I was like, well, yeah, that probably sums it up. You know, that's uh, that's the that's the height of bonding with another Rovers fan. Yeah, it was actually. It's come to say that, but I did sort of linger around expecting to say a bit more, but then actually on reflection. Didn't need any more words. Yeah, just you can say it all in a in a shrug, <laughs> yeah. like the. Yeah. Uh, it's very much like the French language. Yeah, it's very expressive, isn't it? That sort yeah. of Doncastrian sort of shake of the head. <laughs> the shake of the head can sum up an entire season sometimes. <laughs> yeah. The I mean Halifax. Yeah, Halifax was the the um, the first defeat. I'm feeling like Lee Butler was in golf Halifax and had a bit of a belter, but I, I might be missing. Yeah. My, I might be imagining that to save our blushes. Um, I did see someone refer to Halifax Towns Ground as Shea Stadium recently. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> the post of the Shea, confusing it with the, the baseball stadium in New York, but I did quite like that. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the, the, the two of interchangeable did quite amuse me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a few, I think we had a few decent performances on the road that season. And it felt like we were, especially early season, we were getting wins and results places where we perhaps wouldn't have got wins and results previous yeah. seasons we you know we won 2-0 at Liar my early season with with two late goals we got points at like Gravesend and, and Yeovil um, and we won away at Northwich as well early season I mean the funny thing about all those early ones that you mentioned is that these are teams that you probably wouldn't want to go to actually because they were there was all I can remember Liar that was sort of like a proper it almost felt like playing on a rugby league pitch, you know, and, and obviously they, 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 they don't exist anymore. Um, and I didn't realise that Graves and the North Fleet were, were the ones that renamed. So I, I didn't even re- realise when we went in the FA Cup sort of um, a, a few seasons ago to Ebb's Fleet that that's what they used to be because I never went to the away game. Mm. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, yeah, and, and obviously the Northwich Victoria is another one. In, it's, a, it's a classic non-league game where I can remember that the, the sort of the fan bus going there, we were just behind it. I think my dad had driven us down. Uh, we, we were sort of stuck because the fan bus just couldn't get down the, the lanes that were so narrow going into that game. Um, and obviously sort of like um, the, that, that intimacy when, when uh, Tierney gets injured and walks past the away end and he's literally like a yard in front of you. Yeah. Um, actually, like a lot, of, a lot of happy memories from them. And also, as you, as you right to say, um, really good places to go and get a result at as well. Yeah, the um, Northwich game was played at, played at Witten, wasn't it? Because Northwich were at, weren't, I can't remember why they weren't using the drill field that season, but they were playing away at Witten at the time. And I, I remember yeah. it was one of those games where, like you say, you were so close to the, um, to the pitch. And I remember us being behind the goal, and I can't remember Northwich's goalkeeper's name, I'm afraid. But we were doing that slow, monotonous shouting of his name uh, for, for a long time in the second half when he was just in front of us. And then I think he, uh, he dropped across. And obviously we celebrated like we just won the league because we, we'd caused him to, in our minds, we'd caused him to drop this cross. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I would say, you know, just again, that those those games were really fond memories from the conference, and obviously, what followed was was great too. But but um, you know, like, sort of like the, the season when you're still going to those like really remote grounds, and and you're still bringing a lot of people. Relatively, you know, I can remember throughout that season, Doncaster was always like a big fixture. Um, and, um, and and so sort of like the combination of the two made you know, that season like probably one of my favourites and it, um, it, despite sort of like all the sort of stuff that's happened since so those were those were nice because of those sort of games you know Yeah Leo in my early season it was a Tuesday in the first week of the season and you mentioned about Rovers being a big team going to, to some of these places I remember we went into a pub next to the ground at Leo and I and the woman behind the bar she was on her own and she <laughs> massive crowd of like two busloads of rovers fans pile in uh, and she goes oh i'm really sorry like sorry there's only me we didn't know there was a game on and like, this is this is the pub next to the football ground <laughs> in the conference uh, and the other thing i remember that game is i think the, the crowd oh, i've got the program here it says the crowd was 870 and i think a good 550 to 600 of those were rovers fans Blimey. yeah because the um what I remember is when they read the teams out, we could hear like a cheer coming for the home players. And we're like looking around the ground. It's quite, quite a big open ground, wasn't it, Leo Amai? The big terrace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're looking around going, where's that noise coming from? As halfway through the lineups, we realised it was coming through the tannoy. So they, they had a tape of like a, a cheer noise that they played after each so you was read out. So, so they, they had already put in, in place preparations for a pandemic. Yeah. Um, well before I mean that let's give them credit for being ahead of the time in that regard yeah there's, there's some bloke in Lee right now when the Premier League restarted going I, I came up with this <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> yeah or maybe it's him maybe it's him maybe everyone just goes to Lee for the uh, recordings desperately on the phone trying to get his royalty check yeah. <laughs> I mean we talk talking about away games that season I think the the standout away game was undoubtedly uh, Boxing Day away at Scarborough well we'd, we'd struggled to get a result over the year against Scarborough and the conference being where it was obviously it localised fixtures on Boxing Day and New Year's Day so inevitably that was always Scarborough for us because there was hardly yeah. any of the Yorkshire teams in the conference so this <laughs> this two hour drive was suddenly a local derby but Scarborough for me I remember is best summed up by there's, there's a guy I used to sit with at Rowan he used to write for the fanzine actually Matt Cliff and this is, it was actually before I'd properly met him, but he happened to be sat two seats away from me at Scarborough. And he was on the phone to a mate during the second half. And he just remember him turning on the phone to his mate during a lull. You, just, you could just hear him above the crowd going, no, no, we're 5-2 up. Neil Campbell's been set off. It's the best game ever. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like that, that sums it up in so many ways. Yeah. Do you, do you remember which season it was when the, the game against Scarborough, I think on the same day, was called off because of a frozen pitch? Was it the that season was, before? No, it was that season. The home game uh, a week later was called off on New Year's Day. There was a game at Scarborough that was called off one year. Oh, I don't know then. I'm not sure. Because I've always wanted to go. I've never, I never actually went to Scarborough because well, I tried once and it got called off. And I've and and that game really was sort of like the nail. It was just like it just seemed like such a brilliant day out, um, and uh, and I was just so good to miss it. Yeah, I mean, it was always a shame that it was obviously on Boxing Day, so you couldn't go and have a full day in Scarborough unless you fancied freezing on the on the South Bay. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, 
that game, it had it had everything because it had us rattling the goals. There was a lot of back and forth. You know, the, the away end then was at, there was probably more Rovers fans in the away end than there were seats because it it wasn't all ticket. And I certainly remember there being not enough room for everyone to sit down. Obviously, I had Neil Campbell, ex Rover, playing up front for them, who was the getting a bit of stick. Uh, and then he got himself sent off, which is obviously the perfect thing when you've got an ex-player who's, who's tried to give you a bit of stick early on as a set of fans. Brilliant, yeah. And there was a, there was a great point, I think, at half-time. Bear in mind, you've got... I mean, what was the crowd on that day? Let's have a look. Three and a half thousand again. So you've probably got about a thousand and a half, maybe Rovers fans, 1,200 at least. Um, and there was an announcement on the Tannoy for Scarborough fans. News for travelling Scarborough fans, the, uh, the, there's still spaces left on the minibus to Lee. And obviously, like, the fact there's a minibus, 1,200 Rovers fans just give this almighty cheer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I wonder what the attendance was that day. I mean, <laughs> wow. The rearranged game against Scarborough, as, you, as we mentioned, it should have been on New Year's Day. And it wasn't then played until, until late season. I think it was April. And um, in a very John Ryan thing, I think because Rovers had a... A rough run of games recently or up to that point. Oh, we, we, you know, we've been stumbling a bit. We're in second, still pushing a bit. John Ryan does a huge, great rallying call to, to get the Donny public out and, and support and be there for, um, for, for this Scarborough game. And inevitably, 1-0 home defeat. <laughs> <laughs> but ben, yeah. ben Thompson has, has tweeted with his memories that season. He described it as a performance as weak as Smart Price Cordial. Which I think I think sums it up completely. We had we had a wobble, I think, around about February. We lost a couple of home. We lost we lost away at Halifax in the in the trophy, which is probably a blessing in disguise actually to go out of that. Yeah. Um, but then we lost two home games back to back against Telford and Northwich. Um, and the Telford one is the one where there was the goal that never was. So we lost three one at home to Telford, but Telford actually scored four goals. But one of them rattled out off the stanchion. And the referee and linesman just didn't give it. So you had the, the Telford players in a pile celebrating and Rovers suddenly on the attack with only sort of two Telford players between them and goal. I remember that well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was definitely, as you say, I mean, that actually sort of like that, that really summed up what was a really, uh, like a, quite, quite a, um, a big lull for us at a, a really important time. It's one of those ones where... Um, uh, you'd sort of like you get off to a great start, knowing that eventually there'll be a lot to come, and it's any time but that. But it's, it was obviously probably at the same time, just in time for us to recover from it too. Yeah, just just about. I think we did off the back of that. We we dropped to third, I think, off those games, and I think we, maybe even fourth. And we we got back to sort of second very quickly with some sort of you know standard one nil, two nil wins against some lower teams lower down the division. But I mean, Yeovil were out of sight weren't they? They were phenomenal that season. Yeah, yeah. So, it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was always, um, uh, yeah, pretty sure. I can remember it always being playoffs. Yeah, we were, we were second for a long time and then getting hammered at home by Yeovil just before the end of the season when Yeovil won the title um, nudged us down to, to fourth and then eventually, obviously, we finished, finished third on, on goal difference after we, um, well, we drew with Morecambe just before the end of the season which helped Morecambe to sort of stay in third ahead of us, uh, second ahead of us, sorry. And then obviously there was the game at, at Hereford when uh, Mr. John Ryan made his one and only appearance. Of course, yeah. Wow. 
I know. It's, everything else we've talked about makes it seem quite recent, but you get to the fact that John Ryan played and it suddenly seems so long ago. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. Yeah. <laughs> just, just wow. Um, he, made, he, played, he came on for three minutes away at Hereford and I don't think he touched the ball. But I've got the programme from the, the playoff against Chester, the game after, and it has got a, a player profile for John Ryan in it. Because right. they, they kept doing player profiles throughout the season. So there's a, there's a player profile of our latest signing, John Ryan, mentioning his, his five-year spell in the Sunday League, playing for Flying Childers in the 70s. The thing <laughs> is that John Ryan actually gets a, a more detailed player profile than Chris Beach, the poor lad, who was with us for the best <laughs> part of the season. Which seems a little harsh. Yeah, maybe there was a little brown envelope involved. Oh, there is a big, there is a big poster of Chris Beach on the centre pages, though. Oh, there we go. Our, mil- our new signing will be familiar to all Doncaster Rovers supporters. But it does, it does read through like a general profile. Uh, he made a brief appearance for the Rovers' first team five days before his 53rd birthday. Yeah, so that, that takes us into the, the playoffs. Yeah, and I mean, you know, so much happened in, that play, in those playoffs. And it, and it was certainly in the games against Chester, I think, that I was... You know, it, it was just it was just nail biting all the way through. You know, I think I'd, 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 even at seventeen, I'd, I'd lost a lot of air by the end of them. <laughs> but um, for me, it's it, that Tristan Whitman goal will go down. Um, I, I'll always remember that. Mm. Uh, and it was just one of the, um, you know, because obviously we, we we almost fortunately became quite accustomed to, to to big games and a lot of success. Quite quite after, you know, this was almost the catalyst for it. Yeah. Um, but that's that strike was just because I always wanted Tristan Whitman to do well, yeah. um, and like that's and I think that that the joining up of those two things were, was um, was just you know incredible. I mean I can remember him scoring goals in the Sheffield and Hallamshire Cup and thinking that this is it, you know, and then he yeah. he, he goes and pops that one in, um, and it was just an incredible moment. That's and that will always be my highlight. Obviously the penalties um, that was also on were both games on Sky as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I certainly watched the game against Chester at, at Chester on Sky, um, and that nail-biting moment. But but that for me will be it. Yeah, the, we'd had two really niggly games against Chester in the league. That's it. I mean, to be fair, we we always did against sides managed by Mark Wright. I think Southport were, were like that as well when he was there. Um, we we drawn nil nil at home, and then we'd lost one nil at Diva Stadium. Um, in a game where we'd had two players sent off, and I think Dave Morley and Jason Blunt, and we, and we still nearly nicked a draw there. It was when Tom Goodman made his debut. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, plus they had, they had Kevin McIntyre who'd gone there. Jimmy, they also had Jimmy Kelly. They had Paul Card, and they they'd spent big at the start of the season. I think they, I looked this up, and they brought in like twelve new players at the start of that season. Oh wow! We had a lot of Please. jokes and fanzine that season about the size of their squad. I think. Uh, I was, yeah, the, the, sort of the parallel opposite of ours, really. Yeah. And the other thing was, we should have been at home in the second leg, not the first, by virtue of finishing higher. But we had to do it that way around because there was racing on. Oh, wow, okay. That's the only reason we were at home in the, in the first leg, because it's the higher team you normally play the second leg at home. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that, that home game, and I, I think both games, like you say, were, were so very nervy and, uh, and, and fractious as, as a result. But yeah, Tris Whitman's goal in that first game is it's one of my favourite Rovers moments, I think, in my year supporting. Yeah, that that that's my that's my recollection of it actually. Just just again, 
there's been a few things thinking back. First of all, about how you know, many fond memories of that, just because sort of like they ended in success and it was just like largely a good season. Um, but 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 that that sort of I mean I, obviously we're about to talk about the the, the one goal that probably does mm. knock that off the top spot. But at the same time, that that was still as just as euphoric. I think. Yeah, it was an absolute release that the Whitman one because. We were pushing. It was so late in the game. I mean, Paul, there was, if you find the video of the goal, Paul, Ricky Ravenel goes down with cramp about two minutes before the goal. And he's still lying in the middle of the pitch when we score. No one, because we don't want to put the ball out because we're chasing the game. So everyone's just playing on around him. And then, you know, we're sort of bobbling it forward and it just falls to him and he just hits it just right because he's behind the defender so the keeper misses it and there's just enough swerve to deceive him. And then that celebratory run where he just arcs across the pop side, oh. the whole length of the pop side, and then goes and really, really harangues <laughs> the away fans. How yeah. for incitement, I don't know. But there's there's yeah. some great like video clips of him like herring across the the front of the pop side and just people sort of tumbling out of the pop side in celebration. Patterson, this is better from Doncaster. It's Tris Whitman. Good effort. He may well have had a quiet second half, but he has scored what could be a very, very important equaliser. Virtually the last kick of the game, and Trisman Whitman scores his third goal in four games for Doncaster after largely sitting on the bench all season. He was highlighted by Dave Penny as one of the potential match winners. Well, he squared it up here. 1-1 at Bellevue. Obviously, that kept us in contention going into the, the second leg, which again was just so ridiculously tense. I was in the I was in the the terrace behind the goal. Uh, my uncle was there. My uncle was in the seats. He'd got a ticket a bit later than me, and he tells me there was a bloke in I think either a row in front or two rows in front of a bloke very nearby to him. who basically just spent the entirety of extra time vomiting because he was so nervous. Crikey, yeah, yeah. I don't think I watch much of extra time. I seem to remember just sort of staring through the, the gap in the stands because I couldn't watch. Certainly on the penalties, I did that. It's worth mentioning Andy Warrington just before, I think, at the sort of towards the death in um, extra time, made an inc- brilliant one-handed save to keep Chester from, from nicking it before, and send it to penalties. In by Brady. McIntyre climbing, it'll fall for Dave Cameron. Great save by Andy Warrington. That is a big, big save from the Doncaster goalkeeper to deny Cameron. It's one of those games that you... It's obviously a great game, but I I have no real fond memories of it because I just remember being so tense and nervous for the duration. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm sort of thinking... And now the, the, the Warrington save does ring a bell now, but actually looking back, I think that I spent most of it trying to look away. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and obviously, I guess that like, playoffs are very new as well. Um, it was uh, it was the first one in the conference. I've got a feeling it might be the first one Rovers have ever played in, but I... but it's almost like an FA Cup semi final. You know, it was like it was the, the one away mm. um, with everything else built into it. Yeah, just just perilously sort of like nail biting, frightening game to watch. Yeah, and then and then the final sort of proved to be, despite being a a real enjoyment for the first hour. You know, Ravers had gone in front through 
Now, who's got Green scored first, didn't he, in the first half? Yeah. And then, yeah. And Dave Morley got that brilliant header in the in the second half. And you know, he just felt like, oh, we're in, we we're done. This is this is nice. Yeah. Injections in by Ryan. Ryan's in there! The Green's got it! Paul Green from Tim Ryan's superb cross. And the youngest man on the field. Where's the broader smile inside the Britannia Stadium? Paul Green for Doncaster Rovers. Franny Tierney preparing to take the Doncaster Rovers corner. And there's a good one, it's in! Oh, brilliant from Dave Morley! As clean a header as you could wish to see from the big defender. Yeah, no, it was absolutely, yeah, absolutely cruising. But um, I don't remember the Telford game too much. But but I just felt we were so comfortable, um, and and obviously not. <laughs> no, and then they, you know, they pull one back, and then suddenly you're getting worried, aren't you? And they, it was yeah, cool. Certain twist of fate. It was uh, Tarkin Mustafa who'd been with us in the middle of the season. He, he yeah. flew down the right hand side and was crucial in their their equaliser. Useful ball in space now is Paul Terry. Steen make your run. Mustafa getting in behind Tierney. Talk at Mustafa! The comeback is complete for Dagenham and Redbridge. What heart, what character. And then it obviously you're going to, to the, the golden goal promotion goal extra time. And I, I feel like we'd experienced golden goal before in the LDV vans. And we'd, we'd scored one to beat Rochdale. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that was this season or the season before. I think it was the season before. So we had experienced it. And my, the thing I remember most about experiencing it for the first time, being on the terrace, and one of the guys who used to stand near, I think it was Tizzo actually used to stand near us, um, shouting out. And it was a very Roy of the Rovers style crowd shout, you know, where people talk in very specific sentences. Yeah. Just in a quiet moment, he shouted out, You've got to close them down. Don't let them shoot because if they if they score, they'll win. And, you, and it just pretty, took someone saying that for everyone to go, oh, shit, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just just to realise the gravity of a goal. <laughs> so it's like we all knew it, but no one had really contemplated it until someone yeah, well, I always think, I mean, again, I, I haven't actually witnessed too many golden goals. Um, I always think it's a double celebration because you celebrate the goal and then you immediately realise you've, you've, you've celebrated the win of the game because it's like, we scored, oh yes, and we won! <laughs> and it's just that, that brilliant double hit of celebration. Yeah, you get that. It's the only thing that gives you in... It's like the football equivalent of the after-the-buzzer shot in basketball. You know yes. what I mean? Or on-the-buzzer shot. Yeah, after the buzzer, yeah that's absolutely true. That's a good analogy, yeah. Um, you know, because you, you, in... If you think of like all the sports films you've ever seen, like um, basketball, they're always generally basketball American football. It's always that golden moment at the end of where there's no coming back from. That's the final play. It's won. Crowd spills onto the pitch. Everything. Golden goal is the only only way you can ever have that in football. In within the context of the game, I suppose penalty shootout, but within the context of the game itself, isn't it? Because any other situation, you've got to kick off again. Yeah. Um, absolutely it's yeah <laughs> obviously 
an incredible moment too, and um, and one that obviously deservedly led to the knighthood. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and well, yeah, certainly etched in the in, in the annals of, of Rovers history. But um, but God, another another one which which was sort of I, I think sort of slightly different to Justin Whitman, which was completely jubilation, complete yeah. jubilation. This was. This was relief and jubilation and, 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 and sort of like a bit of a realisation that things were about to change for us. Just feel when Donkers do pass the ball, he might have that, just that opportunity to get in. And Blundell has got them in here, it's Franny Tierney! Two things stand out from the, the actual goal itself. One is it's it's set up by a player making a real putting in a real burst of pace down the left. And I was in my head, I always thought it was uh, Greg Blundell because it was a burst of pace from a striker in extra yeah. time. I watched it back a few. I think someone finally put the goal on YouTube like earlier this year. It's Paul Barnes, big oh. big Paul Barnes in the in the hundredth minute. Finding a burst of pace from somewhere to set to sort of set up, which is remarkable. Um, um, yeah, I would never have guessed that burst of pace and uh, Paul Barnes were, were a phrase that we're going to use together in in this pod. To be fair, no. but uh, wow, no, I didn't realise that. Yeah, and the other thing, there's a, there's a great photo of the moment uh, just the sort of second after Francis Tin has made contact. It's just the ball's just going in for the golden goal, and there's a great photo where you can see a lot of the Dagenham fans in it. And there's a few sort of going hands to head, a few shocked faces. But there's one bloke who always just looks like he's already leaving. <laughs> he's resigned to the fact. Like, yeah, yeah, inevitable. See this. I'll start. Well, he's out. seen a burst of pace from Paul Barnes and thought, well, that only leads to one thing if I'm... Uh, if I'm uh... <laughs> it, just, it just looks like he's like, oh, I might as well get the coach running. <laughs> he's just decided at that point. You're always strike. Yeah. If you ever see the photo, if you ever see the photo, you will spot the guy. Enough. He's in a blue and white away shirt. He's already yeah. off. In fact, it's a long journey off from him. So yeah, you mentioned that the, the, the feeling of being relief, and I think that's definitely the case. My my, my abiding memory of the of the celebrations, apart from the people running on the pitch and everything, um, was shortly afterwards there was a there was a sort of chant or a, a, a chorus went up from the the Rovers end of "Are you watching Richardson?" Yeah, and it just felt like you know that uh, sort of an exorcism, really, of of the the five, six, seven years that had gone beforehand, and it was finally, like you say, looking forwards now rather than looking back, and it, it just yeah. felt like you had it in that moment all of a sudden. Well, it's it's like it's the exorcism and the catalyst, isn't it? You know, it was it was you know the first step from ashes to glory, if you will. You know, I'll borrow that. Um, but you know, obviously, you, you've got that 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 headed goal, and then the next season we're we're up as champions. A couple of seasons after, we're beating Man City and Aston Villa. The season after that, we've got a new stadium. The next season, we're in the in in, in the Pay Cup final in Cardiff. The season after that, we're beating Leeds at Wembley. You know, and and if you'd have told me that at Stoke that in five seasons would be a championship outfit outfit and, and a and a good one at that. I wouldn't have believed you because you know, you know you have to remember that that's all you know. We were playing the Sheffield and Hallamshire Cup that year, you know, and then and then and then that's how things changed. 
Yeah, if you told me at 85 minutes into the Chester home leg that we'd be in the championship in five years' time, I, would, I certainly <laughs> yeah. wouldn't believe you. Just, just to come back to Leon, I to, to, to make that Kazimati say, it's five years later and we're in the championship. Another memory from Leon, I from early that season, Ben Thompson saying that the they tried to, Leon, I tried to put the price up by another two quid after about 50 people had already gone in. <laughs> and he said that led to a standoff between like 350 Yorkshire folk and a turnstile operator. So that's what <laughs> the kind of thing you had in that season. And I do remember leaving the RMI after we won 2 0. And a lad, Ben, who, who runs one of the buses these days, the away buses, Ben just sort of like, as we turned our backs on the ground, walking out, just right, thank God, we'll never have to come here again. <laughs> and it, it sounds a bit dismissive. And I, and I hate to be dismissive of other clubs and things like that and belittle the clubs, but it. It, for a lot of it, it was that feeling, wasn't it? That we'd been, that Rovers were, were in this position through no fault of our own as a club. Yeah. We'd sort of driven there by, by Ken Richardson and, and his mismanagement. And we were constantly trying to get back what we'd lost. I think any of us who, who were at Lee that night, the idea that, you know, five, five years later, the, the first away game of your season is going to be Derby County. Yeah, we'd have, we'd have, we'd have snatched your hand off. And also not believed you in the slightest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can hardly dig out the Lee RMI turnstile, man, after what you did to the Barnet fans. No, it's true, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, eye for an eye and all that, yeah. I mean, that's place to judge. Um, <laughs> mate, you know, I might have, you know, not only did I kickstart the, the, the season that, that day, but I might have saved the fanzine as well, who knows? <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we might, again, we might have ended at issue nineteen if it wasn't for me and not made it to a hundred. Yeah, some obscene levels of modesty from you over the years, mate. If that's if that's true, I mean, who knew that 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 Saturday in August was such a sliding doors moment for so many things? <laughs> you changed the course of history, mate. Well, apparently, Gwyneth Paltrow was was walking past at the time and got the inspiration. <laughs> uh, um, I mean, we'll stop there before I start crediting myself with other things. <laughs> Um, so there we go. Yeah, that's that's the the two thousand two or three season revisited. It's been quite quite enjoyable to revisit that. I'm now off. To, I think we're both off to uh, to YouTube to uh, try and rewatch as many games as possible from that season. We'll be interested to hear your thoughts as ever. And the best way to do that is to get in touch with us on on Twitter via via at Viva Rovers. Um, let us know your key memories if you if you've enjoyed hearing ours and, and those that we've been shared already. If you've enjoyed this episode, then, then do please review the podcast on the app or site for which you're listening to us. Um, click, click a big number of stars, or you know, or try and be discreet, four and a half. And, and don't forget to subscribe too, because that means you get each episode downloaded direct to your preferred podcast provider the, the moment they're released. Um, so there we go. Yeah, thanks to uh, thanks to you, Jack, for, for joining me remotely once again. Anytime, mate. And uh, thank you to all for listening. And until um, next month, we'll see you. You read...